today on Laura Lynn and Friends. In our country, Canada, we have already run into a dead end. Economically, we've run into a dead end. Politically, we've run into a dead end. Our institutions are no longer trusted. Our medical institutions aren't trusted. Our political institutions have demonstrated uh, just how weak they are, and not just simply weak, but how corrupt they are. Uh, and, and COVID shattered trust across the world. Welcome to the beginning of the last days. My name is Laurel and Tyler Thompson, and uh, it's a crazy world out there. We've had some good news this week, um, a federal court ruling that uh, the emergency measures that our prime minister took were, what, unconstitutional. And we knew that. I don't know why everyone else didn't know that. You know that I love to start by reading from my dad's Bible. So today we're going to be we're going to be talking uh, to Carl Teichrib, and, and he's written this incredible book on the game of gods um, about how our world is changing. Who is God? You know, and who is everyone's God? Everybody seems to have a God, uh, many, many, many not serving the God of our fathers. So the God of my father is the Christian God. And uh, when he passed away, he left me a gift, a beautiful gift. I didn't actually know it would be so precious to me. And um, I read from it every single day. So I opened it up today, Zechariah uh, 6, verse 15. My dad has underlined this verse. I only ever read you what he underlined. Um, I'm, I'm leaving a Bible like this for, for my kids. And they that are far off shall come and build in the temple of the Lord. And ye shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if ye will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. You know, every promise that God makes to us is sort of uh, contingent on our obedience. And there's not a lot of obedience happening these days. Have you noticed that? Like, um, if there's principles that we should be living by, our modern world has kind of given those up. A lot of bad stuff. Pure evil showing its face and uh, not even hiding that fact anymore. So this is going to be a fascinating discussion. Uh, we've talked about transhumanism on the show before, but are we truly understanding uh, what is the agenda behind everything and, and what are some of the evil conspirators that have gathered at different places across the world to plan and to scheme for their way of thinking? All right. So Carl Teichrib is a researcher, writer, lecturer, focusing on the paradigm shift sweeping the Western world, including the challenges and opportunities uh, for those of faith. Over the years, he has attended a range of internationally significant political, religious, and social events in his quest to understand the historical and contemporary forces of transformation, including the Parliament of the World's Religions, Burning Man, and the United Nations Millennium Forum. He has an incredible book. It is uh, Game of Gods, The Temple of Man in the Age of Re-Enchantment. And so, Carl, we welcome you to the show. Thank you for being here today. We appreciate you taking time with us. Hey, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Carl, you've gone to a lot of crazy places in pursuit to find out what they're doing, <laughs> like even Burning Man. <laughs> and yes. So tell us about that. Yeah. So if someone doesn't know what Burning Man is, like explain a little bit about, you know, what, what this kind of thing is. 
Well, you know, allow me first, if it's okay, to give a yeah. little bit of background about why you would even attend something like this. I'm a Christian researcher. I've been engaged in trying to understand social and global religious transformation since the early 1990s, and I've been engaged in this full-time since 1997. And the importance of attending events is you're able then to hear from their own mouths, their beliefs, you can interact with with the personalities in a private way, in an individual way. You can you can hear things without the filter of media, and you're able at that point then to start to ascertain what are their belief systems, how serious is the movements that they are engaged in, and uh, I, I've been very fortunate. I've, in many respects, I've stood at the crossroads of where culture is changing dramatically. So. Uh, I've had a lot of years of research as I have worked through global governance issues, attending United Nations events, attending World Federalists uh, and other global governance uh, forums. That's on the political side of globalization. Then on the religious interfaith side, uh, being a part of the Parliament of World Religions as an observer, uh, the G8 World Religions Summit. A lot of people don't realize that there is a an interfaith component to the G8 and G20 political summits. And so when you're able to attend these events, you can hear what they're discussing. Uh, again, there's no filters. You are able then to, to judge and determine what is important. And you're able to really work through uh, the material as it's coming to you uh, without any, without any, any uh, how do I would describe, describe this without any white noise or, you know, the, the filtering that comes through with our social media. Instead, you're hearing it directly as you're engaging uh, with you know, as boots on the ground. The cultural side, Burning Man is definitely a part of that. And uh, Burning Man being an, an event where you see 80,000 people gathering uh, in the desert, the Black Rock Desert of northern Nevada. And for the space of roughly 10 days, uh, you have everything under the sun available to you. Everything from the hypersexual to the hyper-serious to the hyper-silly. It's all there. So if you want, you can spend time, and this is what I do. I spend time going to the networking events, the lectures, the, uh, the, the workshops where you have the leading edge of Silicon Valley, where they're discussing blockchain, where they're discussing AI, where they're discussing new roles and new forms of governance. A lot of people don't realize that that's actually taking shape at Burning Man. Most people are, are thinking this is just one big party, but there's much, much more to it than that. In 2019, we had 52 U.S. mayors touring the city, uh, looking to take home lessons learned from their Burning Man experience. Uh, in the past, we've had World Bank. Uh, we had the former chief economist for the World Bank looking to see how Burning Man can fit in with uh, World Bank programs. It's So it's not just simply a, a party. It's not a concert. It's a gathering. And underneath that umbrella, thousands of other, uh, hundreds to thousands of other small events are taking shape all week long. And of course, at the end of it, they burn down uh, a monster-sized human effigy. There's a temple. It's very spiritual. But the research side, yeah, I mean, it's it's rich, very rich when it comes to researching global trends and global issues, including the psychedelic community. What's transpiring with in that world? Uh, in 2018, the theme was iRobot, asking that question, can man and machine merge? Can we come together? Can there be some type of transhuman reality? And, uh, and, and so you, you do have this interesting interchange that can take place 
when you're doing boots on the ground research. We also set up a camp. Our camp is entitled Camp of the Unknown God, based out of Acts 17. We take this from a Christian point of view. And the very name of our camp opens up conversations that we can have about Jesus Christ. And so that's a very big part of it as well. And yes, we have conversations, lots and lots of conversations. So what's there's the a real mixed of, what's bag. What's the, the name of the camp? Camp of the Unknown God, take, taken out of Acts 17 where Paul goes to Athens and sees that there is a monument to the unknown God in the pagan city of Athens, and then uses that as leverage to have a conversation launch into the gospel. And so we've just taken that, we've used that model, and we approach it that way at Burning Man. So our camp is entitled Camp of the Unknown God, and uh, it opens up conversations. So all of this is, is, I mean, this is all bits and pieces of what I've engaged in for, well, full time since 97. And uh, along the way, the research that I've been uh, engaged in has gone towards helping other authors, media hosts, um, professors, as they wrestle with the, the challenges and the changing trends of our time. So Carl, what's really cool is that you're actually from, you're a Manitoba man, right? You're, yes, and, and, and so yes. you, you truly understand what is going on here in Canada. Um, what do you make of our walking away from the values that really this country was founded on, uh, the people that pioneered, the people that even engaged in writing our constitution or the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. We do mention God even in our national anthem. And yet um, many just, it, it seems like we're a pagan country, it feels like. We are a pagan country. Let's be honest about this. We're not even secular. I teach a course at Miller College of the Bible on secular trends, and I tell my students, these are, all, for the most part, these are Canadian students, and I tell my students right off the bat, if you want to know the secular trend of our age is that we are moving rapidly towards a, a an ancient form of spirituality, a spirituality that views honoring the sacredness of the earth as having paramount uh, paramount focus in our culture. And so as we consider things, even like the carbon tax, let's be honest about what the carbon tax is. Uh, and, and again, this is something that I understand from spending time at UN events where we have discussed the idea of the carbon tax long before Justin Trudeau ever implemented it. It wasn't his idea. It's been around within the international community for a long, long time and has always been framed as a way of saving and protecting Mother Earth, saving and protecting Gaia. And this is what gets me. And I don't have a choice when I fill up at the gas station and I'm putting fuel in my vehicle. I have to pay a carbon tax. Um, I'm sorry. I'm now contributing a tithe or an offering to Mother Earth. That is ultimately the spiritual underpinnings of this climate change cult. And that is what it is. Let's let's call it what it is. It is a climate change cult. But the, the, the important part of all of this is we, we need to recognize that what's being offered to us is an alternative salvation message. Look, let's come together as one. Let's find our own personal divinity. Let's transcend our human limitations. Let's build the kingdom of heaven on earth through political oneness, through the actions of the United Nations or some other form of world government. Let's transcend our mortal limitations, even death itself, which of course comes through in transhumanism. Let us feel our oneness, which is what you encounter at Burning Man. Let's come together as religions, as uh, what you see happening at the Parliament of World Religions, where you can keep your diversity of faiths, 
as long as you are working for a single global narrative, whether it's social justice or climate change or UN empowerment or some other form of, of cooperative global governance. And so the bottom line is this all becomes an alternative salvation message. We will save ourselves collectively. In fact, at the 2018 Parliament of World Religions, when it was closing shop, Larry Greenfield, the executive director, thanked all of us for participating in the salvation of the earth. And then if you consider even what happens at the World Economic Forum, again, the language is ripe with this messianic fervor. We have to save the planet. We have to save the mother. We have to save, we have to save um, uh, Mother Earth or Gaia, however you wanna label it. Um, in, in some of my talks I give, I have a, a series of slides showing headlines from the World Economic Forum. And in, in each of those headlines, there's a messianic overtone. We are working to save the world. We're working to, to save the planet. Uh, we're working towards climate justice and therefore we can, we can save Mother Earth. So it's interesting. I, you know, as, as a Christian, and I'm gonna make no bones about this, as a Christian, I find this fascinating that we have this very in our face alternative salvation message. And in many respects, that's what I bring out with my book, Game of Gods. But the more that I dive into it, Laurel, then, the more it becomes even that much more perceptible that uh, man has, we, we see man having a, a collective messianic, uh, almost, almost an impulse, you can't get away from it. They're just driven towards building Babel. And that's what this essentially becomes, Babel 2.0. Well, you know what I'm trying to pull up right now is that crazy lady uh, who showed up um, at Davos recently. And she, she was kind of a, um, I'll see if I can get it here real quick, JT. Um, you, you know the one, she kind of had a, a red uh, triangle face yes. on her. Yeah, she's a, sh a shaman. A, sh a shaman. And I, yeah, I'm like, you know, most people you would think, hey, don't you want to... Be careful of who you've got, you know, breathing all over you or, um, so I think I have it here, JT. Um, so this chick right here, everyone. So, yeah, so she, you know, she's doing her thing. Like I, as a, as a, a person of faith, I, I'm never letting anyone looking like this freaky lady uh, do, you know, uh, put things on me or whatever. But when you don't believe in anything, when you don't have a strength of understanding, I, like I'd be sitting there, I'd be standing up and say, hey, nope, not for me. Um, I would not be doing this. But all of these people, oh, you know, just bowing like sheep to this crazy lady. It's nuts. Well, it's a chic thing to do. It, it's it's the flavor of the day. Um, in, the, in the midst of hard politics in the midst of of the, the world economic forum there you have this sense of re-enchantment that's what re-enchantment is so re-enchantment is uh the sense of the collective we it's not just the new age movement where where we find our, our higher self or our divine self it rather now it's found in the collective it's found in the we it's found in the community in this sense of of of, of working together to save Mother Earth, this working together to, to build some type of a, of a collective utopia. And so what you just saw there is an example of re-enchantment. We're going to bring the pagan past, because that's what this is 
that's what this is informing. It's bringing the pagan past, the pagan shamanistic worldview into the present and right into the, into the locus, into the seat of global politics, where global politics and global economic issues are being wrestled and worked through. And of course, what they're wrestling with and working through um, is steering us towards some type of, of global political oneness, some type of transhuman slash global governance um, management system. And it's about management. But you can't divorce the spiritual. You can't divorce the religious component. And so we're not a secular society, not anymore. We are, let's be honest, we are a pagan culture. That's what we've gravitated towards. So you're going to see more of this, not less. And you see it already in the classroom. You already see it, of course, in your movies. You see it on television. It's in, the, it's in our popular culture. And when I go to different United Nations events or when I've been to, to different interfaith events, you're always seeing some element of a pagan, earth-based, nature-based religion being represented and brought to the forefront giving a blessing, giving a, being involved in a ceremony, opening and closing the event. Uh, it is, it is a, an intertwined reality. In fact, at, at, the, at the 1992 Rio Earth Summit, and I'm going to quickly find a quote, if, uh, if that's okay. Sure, and while you're doing that, I'm just going to put up the art of Marina Abramovich, um, mm. you know, supported by Bill Gates. So, so here's this guy. I mean, he's, he's famous, he's wealthy. Uh, he's crazy. And th this is the kind of disgusting, like this is body parts and flesh and blood everywhere. And this is her art, basically. Yeah, spirit yes. cooking. Spirit yes. cooking. And this is supported by people like Bill Gates. I mean, these are the most goddess. And they're not, they're not even really godless. They're just pagan god worshipers. Uh, and, and that's, you know, we've gone past all atheism, haven't we, into, into Crazyville is showing up these days. Yeah, let, let's be honest. Atheism in, in many respects is, has, has become a waning, a waning worldview in some respects. So I'll give you an example. When I'm at Burning Man this year, 2020, or this past year, 2023, I was engaging in worldview surveys. And you could put down your past religion and your present religion. And then there was other categories that you could agree or disagree on, including the question, is Earth, is Earth a living organism? And what I found interesting, Laura Lynn, is that the atheists would say, I'm an atheist. And then they would affirm that the Earth is fundamentally alive. And I'm going, oh, hold on. I thought you were an atheist. You claim atheism from a religious context and you're doing that obviously juxtaposing, juxtaposing christianity however when you've ticked that you agreed that earth is a living organism you have just entered into mythology you've entered into pagan mythology so here's a prime example of bridging the two together you're atheist and yet at the same time your worldview has been essentially mythologized so just to, to, to make a point of that, allow me to read the closing statement. And I have this in my book, Game of Gods. This is a closing statement from the 1992 Rio Earth Summit, which of course gave us Agenda 21. It gave us a convention on climate change. It gave, gave us a convention on biodiversity. We're living um, through the lens, now our politics through the lens of what happened, what transpired in 1992. And this is Boutros Boutros closing statements. Take note that this is indeed mythologizing. 
I should like to conclude by saying that the spirit of Rio must create a new form of good citizenship. After loving his neighbor as the Bible required him to, post-Rio man must also love the world, including the flowers, birds, and trees, every part of that natural environment that we are constantly destroying. Over and above the moral contract with God, over and above the social contract concluded with men, we must now conclude an ethical and political contract with nature, with this earth to which we owe our very existence and which gives us life. To the ancients, the Nile was a god to be venerated, as was the Rhine, an infinite source of European myths, or the Amazonian forest, the mother of forests. Throughout the world, nature was the abode of the divinities that gave the forest, the desert, or the mountains a personality which commanded worship and respect. The earth had a soul. To find that soul again, to give it new life, that is the essence of Rio. I think it says everything right there. Absolutely. So are you disheartened at what you see? Um, no, what I, do we I, do? No, not at all. I'm not disheartened one bit. I, I'm excited. I'm excited. And here's why. We have opportunity. We have the opportunity now to engage in issues of truth because we have a culture. And this is what I really appreciate about Gen, Gen Z, the, the so-called last generation. They are a generation seeking authenticity. They're seeking after truth. Uh, they, they have they recognize that we are living in an age of complete confusion and chaos. And we're seeing that across the board, not just young people. But I've had lots of conversations, especially through the COVID years. So many conversations asking those big questions. What is really going on? What's happening? What's transpiring? We have an opportunity to be truth tellers. That is what we have to do. And so we see this. It's in our face. In fact, I, I could I could bombard you with literally a month of Sundays of quotes like I just gave you, demonstrating the reality of the situation that we find ourselves in. But we you know we don't have to do that. We can take what we have just what I've just shared with you here. We can recognize the situation, and now we can be, begin to speak truth to what is taking place because we are running into you know let's be honest we're running into a dead end. In our country, Canada, we have already run into a dead end. Economically, we've run into a dead end. Politically, we've run into a dead end. Our institutions are no longer trusted. Our medical institutions aren't trusted. Our political institutions have demonstrated uh, just how weak they are, and not just simply weak, but how corrupt they are. Uh, and, and COVID shattered trust across the board. And so I look at this with a sense of excitement and urgency to say, these are the times we're in. Let's now take advantage of this and have these conversations because people want answers and we have answers. And do you if we think do, do this with grace and with truth, uh, that will go a long way. Mm -hmm. um, I put something up on my Facebook that I saw in somebody else's feed today. I, I, it's right there. Um, and uh, it's a certificate of achievement. Um, obviously, you know, it's, it's um, just a meme, but awarded to the unvaccinated for surviving the greatest psychological fear campaign in human <laughs> history. <laughs> you know, like, I guess kind of what was exposed this last little bit, what got exposed was the fact that everyone was so afraid and it, it just showed how quickly we're willing to bow. To, to something to, Absolutely. you know, we're going to put something in your body that it's, it's not tested properly. It hasn't followed all of the, the, uh, protocols that, that would be 
prudent, but no matter what, hey, you're not going to get to eat out or fly. So you better get oh, it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. And I'm in Manitoba and Manitoba went especially down the nut road. Uh, we had snitch lines. We had enforcement officers. Um, every town had its spies. We know that. That's how it operated. Uh the borders were closed going to Saskatchewan or, or Ontario if you weren't vaccinated. Uh, you couldn't go to restaurants. It was quite a list. I mean, we watched as econ personal economies shattered, as as mental health issues came to the forefront. And while meanwhile, our politicians continued. I think they got raises during that time period. Lovely, lovely. Yes, that never fails to happen. So right. we do, we, we have this truth-seeking generation, but... Um, can I ask you something? Like, have we failed as the older generation? Um, my parents, they, uh, we, I don't know how, but my faith stuck with me. You know what I mean? Um, yes. But something has happened in, in the last 30 years that caused the, this rise of these, the gods, the as you call it, the game of gods, um, it really went into play. And I don't know if we were ready. I don't know if we've done things right. I hope there's a return to the raising of our children with uh, with more knowledge, more intentional teaching of, of what we believe. I, I think you're hitting on something very important, and that's the role of education. So if you want to see from a, an educational point of view, where the real shifts began to happen, you need to take a look at the late 1960s, early 1970, and specifically April 22nd, 1970, which is the first Earth Day. Mm. And with mm. the first Earth Day, you had the publication of a book called the Environmental Handbook. The Environmental Handbook made it very clear, and by the way, it was distributed to, to school children, to college students. It was distributed right across the US and Canada. My own little high school, out in the middle of the prairies of Manitoba, use it in in their courses and the environmental handbook said that first of all we need a new religion we need to reject the old religion we need to reject christianity and the christian axiom that nature needs to serve man we need to reject that and find a new religious framework and in fact it even gives lists of of potential religions and the religions are are earth-centered religions and then it attacks the family it attacks the, the foundation of the family, even suggesting new marriage forms like uh, polyandrous marriage. This is written for school children. And then it attacks capitalism. It attacks the free market. It embraces socialism. It even suggests what we need are, are tribal councils all working together underneath the umbrella of, of, a, of a new global structure. It was a radical book, Laura, Laura Lynn, a radical, radical book but it was like the the shot across the bow and how did the christian church respond to the first earth day and specifically the accusations that christianity bears the brunt of the burden of our environmental woes well we never challenged the assumption because it was an untruth we never challenged the assumptions we just went oh we've always been known as the good guy and now all of a sudden we're to blame. And so you see, you see churches and denominations lining up, writing statements, supporting global agendas, the, new, the need for, for, a, for a new way of thinking about the earth. And it, it doesn't take long and you realize that education is a powerful, powerful tool to shift the minds of young people. But more than that, 
if we ourselves aren't educated in the in the what is true, if we aren't educated and, and given the, the the tools that are logical and, and and you know tools of reasoning, all of a sudden we shoulder the blame. We put that the weight of this on our shoulders, and then we look to change, and we look to change in a way that will mirror and mimic the world and what the world wants us to say and what the world wants us to do. I find it fascinating. I do a lot of background study on global governance, a lot. Um, Way back in the day, I used to go to a lot of World Federalist meetings. The World Federalist movement is the largest, um, the largest pro-world government lobby group on the planet, working with the United Nations and the EU. And I spent a lot of time interacting in, in that in that setting. But if you go back through the history of the world government movement, you land squarely on the churches and church involvement before World War One. And I document some of that. Before World War I, you had progressive ministers, Baptist ministers, Methodist ministers coming alongside saying, we need a new international righteousness. We build heaven on earth through a world government. We need some form of compact or League of Nations. This is written during World War I. And so we see that the church itself has this propensity to engage in what the world wants, wants us to say. We, in, in many respects, become the global participants, thinking that we can build heaven on earth. In other words, um, we have strayed away from what is true as well. And so if, you, if we want to level blame on ourselves, yes, we, we need to. We need to take a hard look at the messaging that we have also been engaged in as older adults. And then even back, going back further to see how this plays out historically. And at some point, we need to stop and we have to go, look, we need to be truth tellers. We need to challenge the assumptions that the world is throwing at us. We need to challenge the assumptions that, we're, that we see our educators throwing at us because the curriculums now are designed to make you good global citizens. Indeed, the very first international event I attended, and it wasn't really an international event, but it had that international flavor, was called the Global Citizenship 2000 Youth Congress in Vancouver, British Columbia, held in 1997, 1,000 days before the year 2000. Robert Mueller from the United Nations, um, he was uh, in charge of, of specifically designing 11 of the UN specialized agencies. He was there to help Canadian educators, curriculum developers, school children, teachers, community organizers, reframe Canada's education system to mirror his world core curriculum and then to make sure that we inject like a virus and that's actually the language that was used make it a virus no inoculation infect everyone with this new worldview of global citizenship where your allegiance is no longer as a citizen of Canada no 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 now your allegiance is to your mother as you save planet earth again that messianic impulse so wow. i mean we have we've been in this for a long long time right and and they're making all of these things to be their gods you know they're serving uh climate change and climate disaster and their fear of what it's done it's become a religion and um i think about yuval noah harari and his uh, statements that really the, the DNA of humanity will be eradicated. He's saying something like 2040, um, you know, going into becoming part man, part, uh, you know, one of these robots. Uh, I have no interest in that at all. And a, a lot of people, because they're so ignorant, like they'll just fall for us. This, the same way that they fell for COVID, the same way that they fell 
for any of this stuff. Uh, Jordan Peterson, interestingly, um, if you'll put this up on the screen, I hope you have my um, share there, JT. But Jordan Peterson, he said, I'm convinced there was no pandemic at all. And he said he's uh, so um, this is a post by Concerned Citizen. And he's always got interesting things that he talks about, but he says he's correct. The conspiracy theorists have been telling you this for the last three years. Here's why. No significant excess mortality throughout COVID except March, April 2020. This, however, is sinister in itself. Deaths were generated by using drugs remdesivir, uh, midazolam, and putting people on ventilators. Oh, yes, they did in order to aid the lie through statistics. Deaths within 20, uh, 28 days of a 97% false positive test. Anyone admitted to hospital subjected uh, to repeated tests. All deaths registered as COVID, even, you know, car crash, gun victims, whatever. Flu complete, completely disappeared. Uh, the illusion of the pandemic was generated by mandatory mask wearing, uh, making it look like there was a problem. And meanwhile, the greatest excess deaths are now showing up at the end of, you know, 2022. Really, uh, we've got a problem. And now nobody wants to talk about excess deaths, where it's a pandemic of excess deaths, way more than in 2020. Uh, COVID was one massive scam. So here's Jordan Peterson talking all about that. And I appreciate some of the people putting this forward. But uh, uh, going back to Yuval Noah Harari, um, they're just going to use these. They're going to use COVID. They're going to use uh, disease X, uh, fear tactics to try to get us all on board with some, no matter what happens, it appears that there is a, I don't know if it's an avalanche, like how do you stop um, a giant tidal wave that is coming and they want to change our DNA. That's what it's about. That is the God of this age. Yes. How do you stop this tidal wave? I don't think we can stop the tidal wave per se, but you, at least you can stop it from hitting your house, possibly your community. If we can change the, some of the politics in our country, I'm not sure how it's all going to, you know, we, we're, we all have these worries about how Canada is going to unfold and how the U.S. elections will unfold. What will this look like? Can Can some of that stem the tide? Can some of it maybe hold it back? At the very least, hold it back in your own household. At the very least, hold it back in your own life. And if we do that, if we all do that individually, then at that point, a difference can be made. At least a difference can be made for you. Um, I've always had people ask me, how, how can we change this? How can we turn it all around? Look, at one of the things that I take away from, from watching the international community is that they themselves don't always get along. They don't always... They don't always have things um, lined up. They're ducks in a row either. So I've been at UN events. Uh, I remember very, very vividly in, at, the, at the Millennium Forum where we had a discussion on, on rebuilding world order and I was part of a subgroup on rebuilding international order. We had an entire afternoon devoted for working through what a global parliament would look like. And we had a very full room. And as the conversation unfolded, the arguments, the, the, the positioning it became more and more contested. The, the the two moderators in the front were frustrated. The people in the audience were frustrated. They all wanted the same thing, and yet they couldn't get along. They all had egos. They all had agendas. They all had budget lines to meet. And I walked away from there watching this whole afternoon implode to the point where really it was just, it was just a, a, a sham. And I went, hmm, okay they don't all get along with each other either. 
thank goodness. And then the other thing, even with transhumanism, uh, I, this is one of the things I find quite interesting. So here, I, I'm going to hold this up. This is the Global Future 2045 Congress's workbook or the agenda book. 2013, oh, I had it upside down, I'm sorry. 2013, um, the leading figures of the transhumanist movement came together in New York City. We had Ray Kurzweil, director of engineering at Google. We had Martin Rothblatt, who's the founder of SiriusXM Radio. We had people from Oxford, MIT. We had the most advanced demonstrations in terms of robotics. Uh, it was an amazing, amazing weekend. And if you take a look through the timeline that this agenda item or agenda book shows, by this point, we should already have been uploading our consciousness into, into virtual reality or into some other type of, of non-physical structures, some robotic structures or something like that, uh, something along those lines. Well, we're not there. We're not even close. Um, I remember one of the conversations listening to, to a, a, a workshop on mapping, uh, neural mapping the brain. And once we have the brain all neural mapped, we'll, we will be able to reverse engineer it, discover consciousness, and upload ourselves. And we had a neuroscientist who stood up and, and in his talk said, look, look, let, let's be realistic. We have neural mapped the roundworm. I think it's 106 neural connectors. We know it inside and out. We know it. We understand it. But we still don't know what gives it life. We still don't know. And that's only 106 neural connectors. And we're talking about the human brain with an astronomical amount of neural connectors. And so there's, there's even within the transhumanist world, there's this incredible hope. And it becomes more of a messianic hope, again, that we're going to defeat death. We're going to defeat aging. We're going to be able to transcend. And when we take a look at things like even modifying our genetics, well, are we going to be modifying our genetics for betterment? Or are we going to end up having nothing but problems and problems and problems? And so I, 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 I look at the transhumanist movement with a, a very high degree of seriousness. At the same time, I also recognize that there's a hope that they have that is more religiously motivated. Um, and, and it just doesn't always pan out. Uh, we all have our smartphones. There's still telephones, but with a lot of gadgets attached to them. There's limits. There's utility, utility limits to our technology. Our toilets are still the same as they were 40 or 50 years ago. You might have you know, a, a seat warmer or something, but they still function only as that. So there are utilitarian limits. And, and what transhumanism does is it says it has these very grand, very, very large um, claims. And, and there's a lot of, of, you know, there's reasons for it because a lot of things happen that kind of propel the transhumanist community. Yet at the same time, there's a, a sense to this that uh, it doesn't always play out. I had a conversation once, I'm not going to give, give the, the gentleman's name. He is one of the top leading lights in the transhumanist community. And this is actually at the Global Future 2045 Congress. And I, I'd asked him about, you know, to the effect of, of where do you see this all going or, or have you seen progress? And he's like, I'm still not one day closer to actually being immortal from where I was 30 or 40 years ago. So here, Lorlin, let me give you a quote just to show you the hope 
and yet at the same time, the folly. This is a, a quote uh, from an interview I did with Natasha Vita Moore, who's a brilliant, brilliant woman, uh, has an incredible sense of, uh, of, of combining technology with aesthetics. Uh, but the, I asked her a question regarding what death might look like in a transhuman or post-terminal existence. This is what she's told me. And by the way, uh, we do have this on, on audio as well. Death ought not to just have one express definition. We'll be redefining death the more and more we develop the sciences and technologies to intervene, intervene with death. So we have to look at death from various perspectives. You may want vacation death. You may want partial death. You may want to be put into cryonic suspension or another type of preservation unit, and then come back and revisit life again. So there are all sorts of alternatives to this finality of death. Are you kidding me? Really, are you kidding me? Partial death, vacation death. This is, and I had to hold it together because I'm listening to a, a very wow. serious, very, very serious woman making a very serious claim, a, a leading figure in the transhumanist movement, and I'm hearing this. And so, yes, there's a seriousness to all of this. At the same time, there is a folly to it as well. And we have to be able to tell the difference. And so I, I, I look at that and it actually gives me hope. Um, it gives me hope. You're not gonna necessarily succeed in all of your dreams and desires. Um, at the end of the day, God will be God and you're not. <laughs> That's the good news. That's the good news. And, and we know that there are very um, serious, somber warnings in the word that unless God shortened the days, uh, that all of humanity would be taken. Like it literally says that in the Bible. So um, we know that we can expect some bad stuff, but I'll never forget, you know, just this last week I was reading out of Daniel 12 to my audience at the close of the show. And it said, but the Lord will save the righteous. Like he will save us from these terrible things. It's, it's uh, Daniel 12, it talks about the last days, but God will save us. That's his promise. So something's going to happen. I guess we're going to, you know, keep having, uh, kind of keep rolling towards their evil agenda. But we have some, some things that are on the horizon that could change things. We have an election in the United States of America, and I am really looking forward to seeing how that changes the natural side. Um, potentially, there could be, uh, you know, a civil war, people are saying. There's every probability that the left, when they get mad, they don't do it quietly like the right does. The right gets mad and they write letters, they initiate bills or, you know, some forums to talk about it. But when the left gets mad, they burn down buildings, um, there's killing, there's violence. And so coming up here, we're going to see that kind of thing. In Canada, I hope there's the beginning of the pushback against this Trudeau regime. His, his, you know, his approval ratings are so low, so to get rid of him would be good. And, you know, it looks like Pierre Polyev is going to be going in, yet Pierre Polyev is still much more committed to this climate nonsense than I would like. Uh, he's still been a proponent of supporting this Ukraine war rather than helping Canada. And we're in dire straits. I know people are literally not able to afford their lives anymore because of what's happening. So, you know, it just, it, it's like on the one side, we keep propelling, but there are little things that I think can be very positive that will give us some things to look forward to. But in the end of it, and I know that you're a man of faith, 
I guess we have got to return to the faith that keeps us anchored on the rock so that we withstand the storm. Absolutely. The fundamentals are right now more important than ever before. So one of the one of the things that I teach in my class at Miller College, um, and, and I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to, 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 uh, to teach younger people, is that there are fundamentally only two worldviews. And this is uh, an approach that I have gleaned from my friend, Dr. Peter Jones, uh, who is a, a brilliant, brilliant thinker. There are fundamentally only two worldviews. There is a worldview that says, Everything is one. God, man, and nature are all intrinsically wrapped together. They all share the same essence. That is the Eastern religion. That is pagan philosophy. Let's be honest, that is even the secular materialist, uh, reductionist, atheist position, that there is no God. Everything is just nature. But then the Bible has an alternative position. It's not oneness. Ultimate reality is two-ness, not dualism, two-ism. That is, God is unique, par excellence. There is none like him. He is God, creator, and then we have creation, everything else. So we see a separation. And when we understand the very fundamental nature of that separation, now we have the beginning for the unfolding of values, the unfolding of, of worth. And so I look at the, at the, at, at, at the Bible and I see the importance of having our faith, the importance of returning to the fundamentals, because it's here where we have hope. It's here where we see that there is dignity in life, that we have value because of who we are. We have value in who has made us. And that right there gives us great hope. And, and as, we, as we consider all of the, of the negatives of the world, Let's just simply use this as a way of juxtaposing what is true and what is good as we shore up our faith, as we shore up our families, as we work to shore up even our communities so that we can stand as truth tellers and be responsible as citizens of Canada and as, uh, as having, that, the, 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 having that voice, having that voice of reason and that voice of truth in the community. I think it's really important. We need to take that responsibility seriously. I know a lot of people have been asking, hey, what, you know, where's my mission? Where should I go? What should I do? Wherever your feet are, that is where your mission is. If you're a school teacher, uh, you, are, you have to be the filter that, that, your, that, that your students need. If you're a, a, a mother and a homemaker, you are the filter. You are your, your ministry, your spot where you're engaging as a truth teller is right to your family. If you're a businessman, same thing. If you're a pastor, my goodness, if there's any group that needs the gospel, that needs truth, it's churches. Um, <laughs> and I'm not, I actually, I'm really serious. It is, it's probably the hardest mission field right now, Laura Lynn. Probably the hardest one. Well, and they failed in mass. It, it was hard. It was, it was hard to see what happened to Canada as the churches right. had no direction. They, they no longer seem powerful. No one cares. Nobody asks the churches. They're all so liberal. Uh, you know, they're just on board with the agenda. They are not a force to be reckoned with. It used to be that you kind of wanted, uh, you know, the Christian vote or whatever. But And I guess now you can get the Christian vote by being pro-abortion, uh, pro-war in some other country, pro-climate nonsense. Uh, you know, you can... You just seem to be able, Christians are going to vote for you anyways. Like, we've just lost our power. I, I'm just beside right. myself, really, on some days. I I, I just... I know. <sighs> to our shame. Really, to our shame. Yeah. Um, 
at one point, at one point, uh, the Christian community, pastors, uh, teachers, we were considered to be the intellectuals. Uh, we were considered to be the ones who were, were leading the charge in terms of standing up and saying, let's be responsible. Let us, let us hold on to what is true. Let us hold on to what is, what is firm. Let us, let us stand our ground. Let's push back against tyranny. Let's push back against the problems. Let's offer hope. And unfortunately, we all we know we just watched our Christian community capitulate instead. Unfortunately, not everybody, not everybody. No, not everyone. What what a what an incredible demonstration of just how far we have we have slid. Yes. You're a fascinating man, uh, Carl Tycrib. I appreciate you. Um, your book. Where can uh, folks get your book, Game of Gods? You can go to gameofgods.ca. And uh, you can also go to forcingchange.org. I edited a monthly magazine for nine years, and I have all the archives of that magazine up at forcingchange.org. They're free, uh, so you can sign on and data mine the site because it's just an incredible wealth of documentation. Uh, so gameofgods.ca, forcingchange.org, and of course you can go to Amazon and look up Game of Gods. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks for your insight. Thanks for going crazy places uh, to figure out what's happening and, and giving us an insight into it. Please keep doing that. I hope that you'll be inspired to, uh, you know, to travel more. Uh, I was saying to my husband, you know, I just want to go to Davos now. Um, I want to go see what's going yes. on there. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Make, make thank some you, trips. Laura, the platform. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I appreciate thank you. For the platform. you. Yeah, well, appreciate that very much. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Keep up the good work, and uh, we'll have you on again. Let's talk about our crazy nation, and hopefully we see some good things, but uh, obviously we're in the fight of our life. That's just a fact. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you. Thanks, Carl. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. God bless. Well, what a great guy. I keep losing my earpiece today for some reason. Okay. Um Absolutely fabulous. I appreciate uh, that insight. And I don't know, I'm, I'm inspired. And I think I, I feel that it's important that we understand what we truly believe in and what we're willing to fight for. If we don't know what we stand for, we'll just fall for anything. And it's such a cliche. And yet it's so true. All of these people at the WEF falling over themselves, uh, you know, to be, I don't know, really woke, uh, to, to be totally in with all of the psycho witches blowing on them. You know, it's all crazy to me. Like God asks us to love the Lord, our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. Who is God? Who is our God? And atheism, a lot of people, you know, there's not all that many that just think they're atheists, but they're, you know, they're into the universe or the crystals and I've, I've met, you know, some, some people that talk about this being sort of their God and their belief system. Oh, I just believe in that power, um, you know, this source of light that they can kind of feel. Well, what is it? What's the personality of it? Um, how, how do you actually tangibly know? Does it have thoughts? Does this power source love you? Is it a loving relationship? Or, you know... People want to just put out their positive uh, affirmations and see what happens. Well, 
the Bible, that's all stolen from the word of God. God wants us to whatever things are pure, lovely, of good report, think on those things. What, you know, whatever is, you know, ugly and um, untrue and slanderous, like don't think about things like that. Put your thoughts into the right place. Also trusting God that he's going to bring about your perfect destiny. When God created each of us, he had an idea of who we would be, what we would need to accomplish that. And then he leaves it up to us whether we're going to submit our will to him to actually bring about great things. And a life, I think true sadness in heaven will be watching as we go before the throne. I envision kind of this and a movie gets played of your life, you know, and and there's going to be some assessments, a judgment made on how you live. And um, it's not the mistakes it's, did we ask for forgiveness and did we press forward? Because God is an incredible God of second, third, fourth, fifth chances. But he's always looking for the integrity of the heart, sorrowful repentance, following him and obedience, which is what that scripture from my dad's Bible said this morning, uh, you know, as we started the show, um, that, that God is looking for those who will obey him, obey him. And it does feel bad that in this day and age, you know, it's all about the culture. We're afraid to talk about God. We don't want to ruffle anyone's feathers. We don't want to have serious or, or even kind of heated debates anymore. And we have to learn to have difficult talks, difficult, challenging conversations without it blowing sky high into I'll never talk to you again. You know, we need to be able to love each other enough. I had one of these yesterday, if I could be honest. Uh, he's a man of a, a different faith here in Canada. And um, I was pointing out some things regarding his faith that uh, are very disconcerting and, and and challenging to me as a person to have any at all understanding of why that is something that is followed. Uh, so this debate, it was kind of over text, but it was kept civil and with a promise to meet in person, to talk more and to to keep the conversation going and to be respectful, but honest, honest, that is lost. We don't want to do it. We, you know, many of us, I don't know, we don't feel equipped. We don't feel like we know, you know, what, what we should share. We don't feel like we have the knowledge perhaps, but I don't know. One way is to just watch some of those debates that happen on television. Um, those, uh, or, or on YouTube, there's lots of debates between like an atheist and a religious person, between a creationist and an evolutionist. There, there are these debates that they're worth watching. They give you knowledge. They give you ideas. Dr. J. Smith, yes, that, that uh, we just did an interview last week with Dr. J. Smith, one of the finest, The Truth About Islam. And uh, he shared a lot of things that I didn't know. We, we got great feedback on that show. And then uh, Brigitte Gabriel was on to talk about the Israel conflict and all that is going on there. My website's laurelin.tv. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. We love doing life with you. I love being here with you. This is, you know, we can each have our coffee. I've got mine here. I've, I'm, I'm ready. Mine says uh, stressed, blessed, and coffee obsessed. All right. Do you have a favorite mug? Well, when the show goes on, you could get it and We'll sit down and go through some things and figure out what's going on in the world. So laurelinlive.tv, that's where you can go to check things out. Can I have a little sip? Because now I feel like I need one. Okay. Wow, that's good. Okay. So um, 
We, we really appreciate that you support us. If you're able to do that, means a lot. Thank you for your kindness to us. Uh, if you appreciate what we do here, if you're able to help us, we survive only strictly on donations. We do not have grants. We don't have large sums of money. We're not independently wealthy. We do this because we have, uh, JT has behind the scenes skills and I have been in front of the camera doing national television at one point. But we do this because we feel God's called us at this hour to tell the truth, shame the devil, because Lord knows uh, all kinds of bad, horrible things are going on. And no one's, many, many people unwilling, not courageous enough, and do not have the courage to speak the truth. So long time ago, I got over having uh, people's approval. So when I speak here, I know that I'm able to speak fr from the truth in my heart. Whatever topic that we're bringing up, I'm able to share with you what I really and truly believe because I got over needing people's approval. I hope to have approval. I like it when you like me. I do. <laughs> and many of you are so kind that, that you write, um, you know, messages, you donate, you help us, and I feel the love, and I appreciate it. That means a lot to me. It's wonderful. Um, we have to get to the place where... We're comfortable with the love we're getting from those we believe um, are of like mind, but that we are unashamed and unapologetic about speaking the truth, what we need to know at this hour, because it's never been more important to tell the truth. So if you're able to donate, you go on that donate button and uh, it'll give you options. You can do a one-time donation, uh, an anonymous donation, you can become a monthly partner, which means the world because we can kind of bank on some funds that way. But we love the one time. We, If you need to go anonymous, that's okay. Go anonymous. You get an income tax receipt for your donation. And you can also e-transfer to Laura Lynn live at protonmail.com. And on top of that, we've got a box number. So you can send us snail mail, box 48184. New Westminster, BC, V3M0A7. We love hearing from you. We love who you are. And um, we're doing this together. And it's a bit scary, I have to admit. Sometimes I look at, at, at everything um, and I feel that, um, that it, it's a bit of a daunting season. So, hmm, all of these psalms, they're about singing to the Lord. I'm going to start at Psalms 102 today, verse 1. Hear my prayer, Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I am in distress. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting that men so, so many, many thousands of years ago, like David, um, I think that David, this would be about... 2,600 years ago, I believe. Um, David felt the same things we do today. He felt that he needed help from God. And he felt that he was in distress. His kind of distress. People were trying to kill David, like like full bore right there. They, they wanted to, like, they had shields, swords, and they were after him. They were going to kill him. They didn't have guns yet then. Um, turn your ear to me when I call answer me quickly we always like God to answer quickly don't we uh, especially if we're in a whole lot of trouble for my days vanish like smoke my bones burn like glowing embers 
My heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. Wow, he's in a bad way. Sounds like a major depression going on right here. He can't eat. He feels, he feels like his bones are burning. His days are just vanishing like smoke. And he's asking God desperately if God will answer him quickly because he's in great distress. Do you feel that way sometimes? I do. In my distress, I groan aloud and am reduced to skin and bones. I am like a desert owl, like an owl among the ruins. I lie awake. I have become like a bird alone on the roof. All day long, my enemies taunt me. I have felt like the enemies have just been taunting us. The courts have been without justice to us. Thank God for this win that we've seen this week. We haven't seen society or, you know, the organizations back us. Some of us been very upset with the, the church's response as we talked about earlier, yet some of the churches, let's not forget, are amazing and became real pillars. We need to get back to that place. Those who rail against me use my name as a curse for I eat ashes as my food and mingle my drink with tears. Because of your great wrath, for you have taken me up and thrown me aside. Wow. So I don't know exactly whose great wrath he's talking about. It sounds a little bit like he's saying, God, are you angry? Is it your great wrath that's thrown me aside? Is it your great anger against me that has done this? My days are like the evening shadow. I wither away like grass. One thing I know about God, sometimes uh, he might be upset with us, but his, his anger lasts a moment, but his favor a lifetime. I, I have been in times and seasons when I felt that the Lord's anger was against me, uh, when he wasn't pleased with the ways I was walking, but I also found something truly amazing that his favor lasted a lifetime and that in the moment when I asked for forgiveness and repented, he was right there. And here's what this says, but you Lord, you sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. It is unstoppable. You will arise and have compassion on Zion. That's us. For it is time to show favor to her. The appointed time has come. Amen. We receive that. See you tomorrow. God bless. You know, it's not easy to deliver the truth of what our sick world is doing. But for some of us, we feel that we have no choice. Because if we are silent about these abominable things, then we are letting evil go unchecked. And we cannot do that. For those of you wonderful people who are writing me and are sharing your encouragement, I am deeply grateful. Thank you for all the letters that you've been sending. Thank you for the donations and the support. I found out that in order to speak the truth, you have to become very, very strong. If you would go to my website at www.laurelin.tv, you'll find all of the ways that you can contact me. Remember, my friends, all is well. All is well. Thanks for joining me.